0: John series. We started with the three weeks of the love series, very intentionally to see what should be the motivation of our heart. And then from there, we went to the three weeks of call. Uh, Jesus is follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? So we looked at the, the invitation, the transformation, and the participation that comes through following Jesus. And then um, that led us into Palm Sunday and Ray preached and highlighted Jesus as the sacrifice, came to town. And then we celebrated Easter with the question on the road to Emmaus and the two disciples that were wrestling through who he was, and then they saw him. And then we turned that corner and we came to the beginning of this series two weeks back with Laura. And she opened the things up with a sermon out of the book of Matthew. And the question, who do people say that I am? And that was relevant for that time. It's also relevant For today. In our culture, people have a habit of maybe not doing the best investigation and best first person research to determine who Jesus is. Uh, They'll often fill in the blanks on their own. They'll fill in without even reading the source, the Bible, or having a conversation with you, his ambassadors. But that seems to have been happening for the last 2,000 years. It probably even happened before Jesus came that people would think of God and then determine who he is on their own understanding. And so Jesus asked that question in that culture. Who who do people say that I am? And there was the answer of John the Baptist who was beheaded, come back to life, maybe other prophets, other people. And then Jesus asked that specific question. But then who do you, my disciples, as you're learning from me, who do you say That I am. And remember his response Peter says, You are the Christ, the chosen one of God. And then Jesus says, You're correct. And this was not revealed to you by yourself, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus comes to clarify who the Father is, to spell out who God is, his character his compassion, his concern. And he did everything he could in this life when he was here physically to display, to put on display, to reveal God the Father through himself. And then last week, we started with the first of these seven I am statements. And Ray spoke on the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. This bread that fulfills the deepest need in all of our hearts. And it's interesting that if we go back to what Ray said last week, and that statement, I am the bread of life, and then in between chapters, between now and what we're going to look at today, there's a statement, though it's not an I am statement, but Jesus says that if you, out of me flows living waters, and if you believe in me, you will have this satisfaction drink that will last for eternity. And then he's going to come into the statement we're going to look at today about being the light of the world. And John is key to to capture from the very get-go of his testimony, three core things that we actually just sell about, saying about, that he goes before me, he's behind me, that as the Israelites traveled in the wilderness for 40 years, that God was the bread, the manna, God did provide water from a rock. And God provided through a pillar of fire and cloud to guide his people. So that as Jesus is coming to this point here, he covered three core things that were given to the Israelites that identified God to them in their wandering the bread of life, the manna, miraculous water from a rock to quench their thirst and a light that guided them, protected them, and reminded them of his position in their life day in and day out while they were wandering. John is keen to to start off his testimony so that people who understand the backstory, the Old Testament, the first half of this story, if you will, that when Jesus comes, he fulfills what God was doing to redeem the world from the very get-go. And so Jesus comes in and make, starts to make these declarations of who he is. And this next declaration he, we're going to look at today comes in the backdrop of, of a festival, a feast that they were instructed to commemorate every year. This this feast of tabernacles. This feast would, would go on for about a week, and, but as they came into town, they would be instructed to build tents, to make tabernacles to live in, to remind them of the wandering, to remind them of what their ancestors had to live through in the desert and how God provided but then fast forward to right before the time of Jesus, there was a rebellion that took place and, and, a, and the light, this, this other leader that tried to, to, to rebel, but he, he was reminded that, that the light, the light of God. And so during this festival, they would light these huge candelabras to remind themselves that God is light, that his provision and protection stays with them. And it's in the backdrop of this festival that's taking place that Jesus says this, John chapter 8, 12 through 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then in the backdrop of this feast, In the backdrop of this festival that was taking place, he says, I am the light of the world. And that's a significant statement. And as he declares that, I believe he's saying a few things, one of which Jesus claiming to be the light equals his claiming to be God. Because in the old Testament, that phrase for light is also given to God. David writes about that in the Psalms, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. And so as he makes this declaration, he is saying in front of everybody, I am the light of the world. I am the living God. And furthermore, as we think about light, light reveals truth. Light brings things into clarity so we can see clearly what is true and what are shadows of the truth. And so I believe he's making that declaration as well to bring truth into the context that they're in. And not only does light reveal God's truth, but light reveals God's truth not only to his own people, but to the whole world. For God so loved the whole world, the cosmos that he gave his one and only son. It reveals Truth. But light also reveals not only the holiness of God, but also the sinfulness and the brokenness of humanity. If you remember the night that Nicodemus came, right, in the cover of darkness, to have a conversation with Jesus about who he was. There's a conversation that goes on beyond John 3:16 and talks about the light. And Jesus reminds this, this seeker that. People are are so ashamed, unwilling to come into the light because they love their deeds and their deeds are evil. And so sadly, people are willing to live ensnared in sin because to come to the light means they have to do something about it. And so he reminds that seeker that night, that's just one truth about the light that people will stay in the darkness because their deeds are so evil. And so this light reveals the holiness of God, but also reveals our brokenness and our sinfulness. But the light, the light is such a unique gift. He talks about here that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That as we come into the light, God changes us. God brings healing. God brings forgiveness. And people would only understand what it means to leave the shadows and walk in the light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then here's that same familiar phrase that we looked at a few weeks ago. Whoever follows me, follows me. It's an invitation to come out of the dark into his marvelous light. It's an invitation to follow after him, to leave one kingdom that brings enslavement to bring and come into the kingdom of God that brings freedom. For whoever has the son has life, he would go on to say. Whoever follows me, whoever comes after me, whoever accepts my invitation to follow me, We'll never walk in darkness again. We'll never be enslaved to darkness again. We'll not be held back by darkness in their life again, but we'll have the light of life. The light of life. Whoever follows me. See, Christianity is not primarily a creed or a theology, but rather it's a personal relationship with Jesus followed by a life of discipleship it's about a relationship with God to come out of the darkness and into his marvelous light and follow. And then this gift, and this gift that you have the light of life, not just um, for eternal life for some day in the future, but it starts now when we come into the light, we are brand new. And so that light of life not only affects our future state, but the current state that we live in now. And he says, I am the light of the world. And I think about that, this idea of light versus darkness. I know when I was a kid and I would wake up maybe before the sun came up and wake up and my room was dark, you know, I'd peer across the room. I see like, you know, I didn't really put everything away as a kid. I'm just going to own that right now. Like the cat, the, the jacket I had, well, I have it throw it on the dresser or a chair or this big stuffed bear that I had or whatever it was, right? The, that was good enough. Right, in, At least it was in my room. But in the morning before the light came out, man, that jacket, whew, that looked like a person. Right? That bear, those stuffed animals, like, whoa, who's in my room? Like, we can't see in the darkness. And then in the darkness, we'll start to fill in the blanks of what we can't see. And that's the same thing in our life, that if if we're still in the dark, or think about our friends that are in our sphere of influence they are still living in the darkness. And the question is, who is Jesus? They, they make up who is Jesus in their minds. They, we're good at filling in the blanks. Especially in the darkness, we can fill in the blank per our imagination. If our imagination is good, we, they can be cool things. If it, you know we watch too many bad movies or whatever, the dark things can be very scary. But it's very often not the truth. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a gift. Of course, he says that, and, and uh, if you read before this and after this, the Pharisees always have some objections. And so, this is objection number one, or argument number one, that the Pharisees challenged him and said, Here you are appearing as your own witness. So your testimony is not valid. So argument, one, argument number one is you can't serve as your own witness. Right? The law says that you have to have two or more witnesses to corroborate the evidence. And so here they are throwing back at Jesus the law. And you can't serve as your own witness. So in a sense, the Pharisees, and we see this time after time as they try to figure out who Jesus is. They get sidetracked on more on the process than the proof, more on the process and the rules versus the person in the relationship. They settle for arguing on lesser things and unwilling to really discover the greater things. I think sometimes that's true in our lives, with our friends, with our family. Think about it in your journey. How many sub- Ordinate, subcategory things did you try to argue first through before you got to what really mattered the most? And so here are the Pharisees. I don't know if this was their defense mechanism. I don't know if they were honestly seeking, but they were more concerned about the process and lesser arguments than what was at hand. I said, hey, you can't testify on your own behalf. And it's funny, I'm like, well, you guys came to John the Baptist when he was baptizing and he gave witness that, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And some of those Pharisees were there when Jesus was baptized, and after he was baptized, there's this dove that descended on him, and out of the clouds came a voice that, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I love, and I'm well pleased. The voice of the Father then they had the scriptures all of the scriptures that spoke clearly to him and they searched diligently but somehow they weren't finding him when he showed up let alone the many miracles the authoritative teaching that they even understood you teach with authority but you didn't go to our schools where are you from So at this point here, Jesus isn't testifying on his own. There have been others that have corroborated with what he's saying. Evidence. And how, again, how often do people in our sphere of influence and our culture fail to look at the main evidence and we get sidetracked? People often ignore evidence and make excuses and argue on the non-essentials believing it buys them time for what but nevertheless we do this they did this and jesus answered even if i testify on my own behalf my testimony is valid because i know where i came from and i know where i am going but you have no idea where i come from and no idea where i'm going Jesus would after this later on clarify that he, he would continue to say, You are from below and I am from above and I am not of this world. Right? He is from the king, he is God, he is from the kingdom of heaven. And so he's saying here, You can argue this point, but surely. If there was anybody to testify about the things of God, it can only be the people who have seen and testify and, and experienced the very things of God in the courtroom of heaven. and He came as that person. For indeed Jesus was sent from God and is indeed God himself. if God can't argue on his own behalf, then nobody can. It says, you pass judgment by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I'm not testifying alone. I stand with the father who sent me. So if there is a need for two witnesses, he's saying, Hey, look, I'm a witness and my father's a witness. And I've come here for this purpose, but you have no idea who my father is. says, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. And I am one who testifies for myself and my other witness is the father who sent me. And I think in this exchange of, of words and of argument back and forth, I think he hears their complaint. The argument that they're lodged, and he's trying to at least answer that to hopefully get them out of that cycle of arguing for the lower things so they can hear and focus on the core and essential things. So he is trying to answer their questions. He is trying to reveal who he is, and he's trying to elevate their level of discussion for the main things. But after he says this, then they, they come back with argument number two who is your daddy or where is your daddy? Because then they asked him, who's your father? He says, you don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father. And then, of course, after this, later on in the chapter, there's a huge dialogue between them about who their spiritual parents are. But he's making this argument that if you see me, then you see the father. I am the son. And they're like, well, show us your dad. And then they get sidetracked oftentimes of, wait, you're that kid from, wait, we know where you're from. Your dad was that carpenter guy. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's complicated, but you know who my true father is. But where? Where is your father? But right? again, sometimes we continue, and people in our, our lives that we talk with, they, they want to stay in that lower level of argument. That just seems like we can go back and forth on this forever. That if we're not willing to to move to the core issues, we can be stuck in these lower arguments forever. Where is your father? In John chapter 1, sometimes I, I love going there, but he said, he came to that which was his own, and they rejected him. The true light has come into the world and was rejected. And that's what we're seeing played out here. Though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But in him was the light of life. They didn't understand him. They couldn't overcome him. But it's interesting as we fast forward in the story of Jesus with the 12 in the upper room. When he's telling them that I'm going to leave you, and they're grieved, and he he comforts them in John 14 that in my Father's house are many mansions, and and if I go there, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I come back, I'll bring you to be with me, and they have this dialogue of well, where are you going? And then Philip says, then show me the Father. Really, Philip, after three years of of seminary with me, where? We're still trying to figure out who the Father is. Have you seen me? You've seen the Father, he said. And I know sometimes these are difficult realities and truths to sink in. And what I love about Philip's question and Jesus' answer in John 14, which actually at the end of Matthew's gospel and the Great Commission, so remember they they. They came and they met him in the mountain and some worshiped, but still some doubted or wondered. We talked about that. That we can be all in in faith and still be trying to work out what does that mean to follow you in faith? And I love the patience. I love the persistence and the heart of a loving teacher that Jesus is that walks us through the times of doubt and questions that we have because he wants to solidify the truth that we are seeking and have sought and have agreed upon. But I think sometimes the reality is a question of the heart. I think Philip was asking the question from the heart whereas I think the Pharisees were asking the question from a hardened heart to put him off, to win an argument. I said, well, where's your father? Go get him. Bring him to the courtroom and then we'll believe you. But if you, if you knew me, you would know my father also. And he spoke these words while he was teaching in the temple courts and the, the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. And he would go on in John chapter 9, or shortly after this, he would say this, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Laura talked about this. He heals this blind man on the Sabbath, gets in trouble for that. They call the, the, the young man in that was, that was healed like Laura talked about two weeks ago, and there's a courtroom setting there. Like, who healed you? How did he do that? And the man healed testified again. It was Jesus. He's a prophet. He affirms the miracle. And he expresses his desire to follow Jesus. And they don't accept it. And that whole chapter... Then it's written to show the heart of those who will seek and follow and those who are still spiritually blind, living in the dark. But when Jesus spoke, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me. And then for me, it begs the question, what does it mean and look like to follow to have the light of life and be a light in this world. Paul spoke to that in the book of Ephesians. He says, For once you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The very things Christ came to reveal. Right before we were darkness, we were in darkness, but we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have the light of life. We're children of the light, not children of the darkness. Then he says, then live that way. Live a life that reflects God the Father who is good, righteous, and true what it means to live in the light of Jesus. He would put it this way to the church in Philippi, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you will become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped or crooked generation. Then, then you will shine Shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the world of life. Do you know that you're outstanding? That you're meant to stand out? And that's what Paul is saying here. You shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. You're meant to shine. You're meant to shine. So different from the world around us that. People should be like, hey, look, the stars are out tonight. It's a full moon. Have you ever been out on a night when it's a full moon and there's a lot of stars and you can almost see in the dark? Okay, let's turn off the flashlight and save the batteries. I think I can find my way to the porta potty, like when you're camping, right? But that's what we are. We are those lights in the midst of darkness to help. Point the way, not to the porta potty, <laughs> to do a better relief, to God the Father, that we shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. We shine. How are you shining these days? Maybe for some of us, we. I don't know, maybe we need to have the, the flame turned up a little bit more, replace the eternal batteries. That's a wrong metaphor, right? But we're witnesses regardless. How are we shining? How are we witnessing? You know, our identity of being children of the light is meant to increase our influence. where God has us to shine. That it's based out of our identity in Him. That we have an influence to reveal truth to people who haven't understood yet. And so we live as children of the light. And I thought about that. I think Jesus said it best. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. This light this light that's meant to shine before our sphere of influence in the dark so people can see. People can come to us with questions. People can can walk with us as they have their questions. The same way that people walked with us while we had our questions, while we were still trying to settle for secondary arguments before we said, okay, let's deal with the hardcore facts. Sometimes it takes wrestling through those introductory things to get to the heart of the matter. But Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine. You reveal truth. You reflect God, the father, you convey what is true and right and righteous and good to a world that desperately needs to see and hear and converse and understand. And again, we don't do this for our own. We do this to glorify God the Father. But how cool is that, that that God includes us as his children for such an incredible, incredible task to help bring people to him, to bring them to life. And so as I think about that, I, I came down to these last two questions. What does it mean for you and I to respond to the light of the world, Jesus, and follow him? Continue to follow him. And then how can we best reflect the light of the world, Jesus, the light of life as we live, sent and love where we live so that people will come to know him? We may have to go through conversation after conversation of more lower or more argumentative things. But as we pray and we hope and we trust that the, the conversations, the spiritual conversations will get to the core, heart of the matter, is Jesus. That your light and my light would shine in the midst of this generation where we live. Father, thank you that you sent your one and only Son because you so love the world. You so love the people of the world, humanity that is created in the image of God. And you saw fit from the very beginning to reveal yourself as you saw fit in so many ways so that people would be without excuse. And then you came. God, you understood rejection. But you were persistent to bring your provision, your protection, your presence. And one way you did that was being the light. The same way you led your people for 40 years in the desert. As you went before them and behind them. You surround them. You do the same with us. So Lord, be with us as we leave. As we go forth here from today and celebrate Mother's Day. As we go back to work tomorrow or school or to our hobbies or our neighborhoods or the grocery store. Or wherever we go. God, refuel us by the power of your spirit to be the light you've called us to be. But I pray too for those of us that may still have some honest and serious questions that we're working through to know you and understand you better. I thank you for your patience, your provision, that you continue to reveal yourself and you encourage us. For some of us are slower learners than others. But it's a lifestyle of discipleship. God, help us as we continue to graduate (laughs) day after day and grow in you. Having the light of life in this life and surely the celebration in the life that is to come. God, encourage us this day and I thank you for your presence and your protection and your provision in the midst of our questions. And praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, a couple quick instructions as you as you leave. Um, for uh, moms, we have a special gift for you. They look like this.